Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Buddham Tamang Sangam Namasami The spiritual path is a training and it's a lifelong journey it's something that we begin from different perspectives, coming from different abilities or facilities for meditation. But all of us have the capacity as human beings to learn how to train the mind and then to train it. But like every other training, it's a process. And it takes effort, resolve, commitment, endurance, honesty with oneself, incredible integrity. It takes wisdom, reflectivity, the ability to look back, look forward, reflect, uh, contemplate. What am I doing? What is the, the result of my effort? How can I improve? What do I need to let go of? We have to keep asking ourselves, how is the training going? Rather than just picking it up and thinking, this is it, I just have to keep doing this, with no sense of creativity or adaptability or flexibility according to how conditions around us, within us, for us are changing. Change is the truth of the way things are. Everything is in a flux. If we don't realize that, then we need to meditate more. And then we will notice how much things are out of our control. As we begin to breathe consciously there in front of our very nose, there within our own chest, there within our own body is the constantly changing, ungovernable breath process that none of us can direct. We can try to direct it but we can't really control it. We can hold our breath, but not for very long. Uh, we can breathe loudly or softly, strongly or in a whisper, but we must breathe. We can't just stop breathing. If we stop breathing, we die, of course. But one thing that we really need to stop so that we have a better ability to observe changingness is the mind itself. 
And we do this through meditation practice. That's the key. By learning how to stop the mental restlessness, the mental agitation, how just to set it down, to calm it, to soothe it, to teach it what stopping is. Then from a perspective of stopping, we can begin to understand the eternal law of change. And when we understand it, and we see it impersonally, then we no longer feel caught in its jaws. We no longer feel trapped by its relentless, ungovernable movement over which we have no control. But the mind is apart from all this. The mind is, has a nature, it is of its own element. And that is the element of presence, a purity, an absolute integrity. It's untouchable, it has no color, it's indescribable. But it's purity we can taste. And we ourselves know intuitively when we're off and when we're going in the right direction, when we're on the path. We can know. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Already, we have the, the, the gift, the talent to know when we're off. But we must uh, reassess every day. Not, a, not just every day. But if possible, every hour. And if every hour, why not every moment? What is the condition of the mind? What can we do to purify it more? To direct it well? To uplift it from what is injurious or harmful to ourselves or anyone else? This training requires a commitment uh, that is befitting an athlete. But the difference is that we're spiritual athletes. And we have to get in there and train. You've all heard the story of Terry Fox, who in his teen years was diagnosed with cancer of the knee and it was very aggressive. He had to have his, his leg removed. It was amputated. And being an athlete at that young age already and very interested in running, in sports, in using his physical abilities, he had the strength of heart to try to train himself not just to walk with a prosthetic leg, but to run. And why did he inspire this, this country, not just this country, but the world, with his running? Is because he ran so far for an amputee. He ran from the east coast of the country all the way to Sudbury before his cancer returned and stopped him. But his aspiration was to run all the way across Canada with only one leg. 
an amputee. That just stops us in our tracks. We, with all our, all our complaints, all our personal entanglements and sufferings, all our entrapments and heaviness of heart, all our worries and fears about how things are, how they should be, or what happened or what might happen, we can take a wonderful example from that. And his running was not just to prove something to himself, but he was running because he had it in his mind to raise one dollar for every Canadian for the benefit of cancer research because he had heard that if he had been ill just a few years before, his chances of survival would only have been 15%. But at that time, his chances of survival had already improved due to cancer research to 50%. And in his heart was this wish that people in this country would have a better and better chance to survive these illnesses if there was more research. So if he could raise one dollar for every Canadian, that was his goal. There were 24 million Canadians when Terry Fox started his marathon of hope. And by the time he reached the north of Ontario, he had raised 24 million dollars already. And at this time, so many years later, the Terry Fox marathons that continue have raised $550 million for cancer research. And he's been dead for 32 years, 31 years. That's incredible spiritual athlete. And how he trained himself. He ran every day after his surgery, after they amputated his leg, and he was able to get up and start running. He trained and trained so that he could run again, run a marathon, and he trained, I think it was more than 4,000 kilometers before he actually started running. And every day he ran the equivalent of 35 kilometers. I think it was 26, like a marathon, 26 miles every day every day. It's a wonderful example to us of what's possible. What we can do as spiritual athletes. We can lift up our hearts. We can see suffering and go beyond it. We can do what is unselfish. Do for others because doing for others helps us Paradoxically, we think that the only way we can help ourselves out of our, our angry states of mind, our frustration, our depression, our anxiety, our worry, is to get more for ourselves, to take more time for ourselves. But in fact, if we use our energy to help others, 
we find we help ourselves. Because we're not all tangled up in the mind. Because we have set the mind down from its worry and aspired for something higher, generosity. And that's what Terry Fox did. He designated this aspiration to reach the other side of Canada, not just for himself, but for all of us. What a generosity. What a breathtaking generosity. But when we're caught up in our own misery, we can barely set foot outside the door of the house. We can barely talk to someone on the phone with cheer in our voice. Because this is, this is the downfall of the mind when we're not training. But if we learn to be present for what is new and fresh in this moment, then we're able to bring attention, vigor, resolve, space, commitment. And we train the heart to rise up to that, to be present for it, to be strong, even if we're feeling weak, even if we're scared, even if we feel sad or worried. We put that feeling to rest and we displace it by something greater than that. We have that in us if we're willing to try. Trying is the beginning of training. It's trial by fire. It's winging it even if we can't. Even if we have one leg, one arm, half a breath, half a moment of mindfulness, bringing ourselves to the moment again and again and again. A new moment. A new way of being with it. Letting go the old stuff, not hanging on to it, means making ourselves available to the possibility that we can do more. This is the power of spiritual athlete. The Buddha's path of awakening is made up of these kinds of moments of unspeakable courage. We can't wait for somebody else to be courageous for us. We have to do it ourselves. Or look to the examples of those who have done it. We can't ask other people to change and be nice to us. We have to stand up and be nice to them without asking anything in return. That's generosity. It's not, I'll be nice to you if you be nice to me. That's bargaining. That's like, I'll trade you. It's a trading. It's, it's the marketplace of the world. But what we're trying to do in this practice is we're trying to live from a place of complete selflessness. And since we don't have that, we have to start with where we are. As selfish, as victimized, as depressed, as downtrodden, whatever we think we are, we have to give that up for one moment and another moment and another moment. We see the dukkha, the suffering, and then we pick up the non-suffering. That's this project. 
Four Noble Truths the Buddha taught, not two. Yes, suffering. And yes, we know that the origin of it. But yes, there is a way to end it. And yes, this is how. This is what I can do. The Eightfold Noble Path. I'm not speaking to you from just an idea, but it's been what I've had to do in my own life as a nun. When I left the community back in 1999, end of 99, and I went to New Zealand, I was trying it out on my own. And I had no idea. Everything was completely uncertain. I didn't know what I was going to, who would support me, how I would be fed, but I knew that I had to try on my own. After being in a community for 10 years, it was time to see whether I had wings. But especially being a woman, support and places of practice were few and far between. And eventually, I was able to garner enough support for myself until conditions became really quite comfortable. And then there I was in New Zealand. Seemingly, I had everything that I could possibly need for my spiritual life, for my spiritual practice. But it, it somehow felt not enough because I wasn't doing enough for others. I really felt cut off from the world. There were not that many people coming. And time and time I, again, I asked myself, what can I do more in this world? What is there besides having all these perfect conditions? Because the perfection is not in the world, but in my heart. And I felt there's more that I can do, more that I can give. But I didn't know how. And I received the invitation to come to Canada. And I did, about a year later. And when I came, there was so much interest here, and there was so much dukkha, so much suffering to be seen, that for some reason called my heart. It spoke to me. And I thought, I've, I've got to do more. And then I stayed on. After another visit, I stayed on here. And I ended up taking bhikkhuni ordination before I came. And at that time, the community that I was affiliated with basically disowned me. Because this ordination was not allowed for women. But I really believed that I had to do this for myself. And there were no other bhikkhunis in the Theravada tradition in Canada. So when I first came here, I told Ajahn Viradamo that I wouldn't tell anybody. And he said, you can't be a closet bhikkhuni. <laughs> you have to let people know. But I was scared. I thought, if the other Theravadans know, then they will criticize me because there is no such thing. There was nothing established yet. But 
I trusted his word. I thought, he's right. I'm just cowering. I'm being a coward. I did something for myself, and I have to share it. I took up a higher training because I thought it would help me. I've got to share it. And so we started this project. And when we started, those of you who remember, we lived in Vanier in a not such a good neighborhood. And when we walked outside on the street, there were a lot of strange people around. Of course, I was one of them. (laughs) 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 And they sometimes made comments to me that that's the conditions we had to face. And then eventually we were able to move to the country and live close to nature and with beautiful forest and sunrises and sunsets and far from the maddening crowd where we could practice in peace. And now three and a half years, four years later, four years, yeah, four years later, what is there rising up on the ground there? A temple is rising up on the ground starting from just an idea to take more training, to do something that for over a thousand years as women we were not allowed to do. And I was told that this was not allowed. And then being encouraged to share it and sharing it. And what happens? People want to support what is good in this world. And we can stand up and invite other women to come and practice with us. And even though it seemed like an impossible mile to run, when I stood up to try to run it, I suddenly found that there were other people not only willing to support me, but willing to run with me. Ayanimala, she showed up the first month. Will you train me? I wasn't going to train anyone. I just wanted to be a bhikkhuni. I just wanted to do this practice to the fullest. And now, Anagarika, Ahimsa, and more women coming and being interested and wanting to support what we're doing. But we have to come to the moment and try. Even though it seems impossible, even when the mind is giving you all the reasons why you can't do it, You just say, I'm going to do it anyway. So a spiritual athlete, it it takes a willingness to know suffering and not be frightened away by it. But to also know that it's possible to go beyond it, to the ending of it. And the ending of it doesn't mean that you're going to have a beautiful body or a lot of money in the bank, or wonderful food to eat. It's not those kind of things that we're trying to get. It's something far beyond the delights of the world. It's developing the core of goodness within us on which we can rest to have peace. Because peace will not come to us from outside. There will always be wars, and there will always be mad despots trying to set off nuclear bombs. 
But we ourselves can have peace within our own hearts if we can stand up to our fear, to our worry, to our weakness, to our suffering, and do what is right for us, what is highest for us, not what is the status quo and what doesn't speak to our own integrity. And if we can do that, the world will listen. The best in the world will come to us. When we meditate, we develop the muscle, the armor, the gentleness, the generosity to ourselves to see that it's possible. We learn how to know joy in the moment. We learn how to listen with the real radar in our minds. The radar that can suss out what is good and true and what is false and we can leave it behind. So wherever we are in our lives, this training is precious and we, we are wise to keep devoting ourselves to it. No matter how hard, no matter how stuck we might feel, the next moment is new and fresh. And we, we can reinvent ourselves. We can restore ourselves. We can revise the program. We can defragment, stand up and be in the moment true to the best in ourselves. That's the blessing of this moment, of today, of this life. No matter how disappointed we've been, this is the gift. Now is the gift. It's like a package that hasn't been made yet. It's up to us to make it. Spiritual athlete or spiritual artist recreating or rebuilding our life from scratch, breath by breath, step by step, moment by moment. It takes a lot of patience, and that's the hardest parami to develop. But one breath at a time. I remember a cute little boy in Toronto told me many years ago when I asked at a... It was his sister's birthday party. And uh, his mother invited me for a meal. And then I gave a little talk to the children. And I asked him, what's the meaning of patience? And he said, when you get what you don't want. So we just keep trying. Thank you for your attention.